You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, welcome back to the podcast once again, ladies and gentlemen. This is Fair Game number 294. It's our 94th episode of the season. We're closing in on number 100, and I'm looking forward to sharing that show with you on April 30th. Today's guest is a fair manager for the Roosevelt County Fair, where they have big dreams in a small town. From Culbertson, Montana, this is Angela Miller. Angela, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. So big dreams in a small town. Tell us about your fair theme. Well, we had chosen that for our theme last year. And uh, my idea with it was to showcase people's big dreams around our county. So whether that dream was a ranch that's been going for four generations since the 1800s, or the coffee shop that opened a couple of years ago. Um, everything around here started as someone's dream. So we wanted to showcase those. And um, we wanted to use a little bit of sponsorships with it and partnerships for the fair. But because 2020 happened or didn't happen, uh, we decided to carry it forward for 2021. So same thing going forward this year. We are just showcasing people in our county. I think that's fantastic. Um, you know, it's it kind of goes to your your heritage of being a small a small town, uh, small town fair. Tell us a little bit about your fair. When you typically run, what's your attendance look like? Things like that. So we are probably one of the smallest, if not the smallest, fair in the world. Um, our grounds are less than five acres. Um, our county is somewhere around eleven thousand, but we're a really long county. And uh, Culbertson is at one end. And so typically our attendance mostly comes from the west end of our county. And we're a free fair, so we don't know exactly how many people we get through our gates, but we have a couple free meals. And in those free meal times, uh, we have anywhere from 500 to 750 people who are served. So that's where we get an idea of how many people are through. Awesome. Very cool. Um, so you're, you got a small fair. Can you take a minute and share the importance of the fair to your community? It's a place and a time where people can just get together and reminisce. Um, some of the people who come through have been coming to our fair for 50 some years. Um, some of them showed here as a child and now have their children or grandchildren showing animals and visiting and hanging out. And so it, it's kind of just a, a time for our communities to come, come together and um, see the latest um, arts and crafts that have been done, the school exhibits and things, but it's, it's a lot of traditions that we have here. So people enjoy doing those. Awesome. Can you take a minute and share for our listeners how you came to be with the fair? So I grew up in central California and I was an ag teacher out there. Budgets were tough with the schools. And so in 2009, I moved to Northeastern Montana to teach agriculture. Um, so as the ag teacher, my very first assignment in my job was coming to the fair. And then shortly after the fair created a livestock committee. So being on being a teacher, I was part of that livestock committee for about a year. 
And then there was an opening on the fair board. So I decided, okay, I'll, I'll take a shot and, and be on the fair board. I have a lot of experience from being from California and different fairs out there. So I'll bring some ideas that I have into this fair. And then um, I ended my teaching career and within a couple months, there was an opening for a fair manager. So I took that on and June will be nine years that I've been here as a manager. Wow. Now, what, what grades did you teach? High school agriculture. Yeah, high school ag. So if you can handle high school kids, you can handle a fair. <laughs> I think that's, that's <laughs> a, a given on that one. Yep. <laughs> so when you, you're, you're nine years in June, what's the most rewarding part for you in producing your fair? Um, it can be stressful throughout the year. And I think a lot of people don't realize that this job actually does take the full year to plan it. Even as small as we are, uh, it's, it really does take the full year and just the, at the end of the fair, seeing how it all came together, how people have enjoyed themselves, how they've, um, how they've liked the new things that we add each year and just the happiness in people's faces, the thank yous that I do receive, that's the most rewarding part. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I know as an entertainer, um, you know, for me, it's always that moment that they walk away with a smile. And I know that the families for that, you know, few minutes they were with me, the families had a great time at the fair. Uh, that's always a really, you know, a special part of this whole process for me. Yeah. If someone If someone from out of town came to your fair, for the first time, what's something at your fair that everyone needs to see? Well, because we're that small, because we're at five, less than five acres, we don't have room for a carnival. Wow. Uh, and so most of the time when you go to a fair, that's kind of people associate carnival as the fair. So um, we have other ways of entertaining people. And one of them is on Thursday every year, we have a free corn feed. And so not a lot of fairs would have something like that. Um, that's a lot of people look forward to coming out to that corn feed, get in line, grab your ear of corn and go sit down and visit. And um, I'd say probably some of our smaller just activities that we have people throughout the community, community come in and do things like um, painting rocks or cornhole tournament. Um, just some fun down home type stuff. Sure. And so it's just a little different because it's, we don't have all the big things that you associate with fairs. With typical fairs, sure. Now, do you guys have a livestock show at your fair? We do. Uh, that's probably our, our biggest attendance is our, our livestock. And because of the way 2020 worked, um, we did get to have a fair, but it was mostly just a livestock show. And we changed our schedule around. And so, and it kind of worked out nicely. So we're probably going to keep that again for this year. And um, people that are coming to our fair can see a livestock show or see the livestock, something with livestock at any time when they're here. So it sounds like without the carnival, you know, and, and without big name headline entertainment and all the things that we typically associate with a fair, you really are that traditional um, kind of old school American county fair where the community just comes together and has a great time together. There's a livestock show and, and 
it's you're just that thing in the community that that brings everyone together even though it's you know your small community you said um was it about five thousand? is that what you said for your, your area um eleven thousand for the county eleven thousand for the county yeah, yeah. so su- so super small have you guys uh have you and your board ever discussed the possibility of of relocating to a larger spot and growing the fair or is this something that everybody's real happy with how it goes and if it ain't broke don't fix it well in the olden days i don't know exactly the years but (laughs) our fair used to um it used to travel between three towns in the county and so one year it would be in culbertson here and the next year it'd be in poplar which is about 30 miles east and then it would be in wolf point um, another 20 miles um, west of there so it'd be traveling between the three places and wolf point is it's our actually our county seat and it has the biggest population in their town and so people have said it should probably go there because of the county seat um, but they are unique and they have what they call Wolf Point staff stampede in July, a month before us. Um, they have a big, big PRCA rodeo and they bring in a carnival. And so, um, we, we've talked about relocating to there and maybe having fair during that time, mm-hmm. but, um, we, we still just kind of like the idea of having that, that down home, um, little county you know, just livestock show and then leaving the, the big rodeo and um, the carnival during stampede. It sounds like this is a situation where they've got a great event with stampede and you've got a great event with the county fair and maybe they should just be left alone and let them be what they are. Yeah. And if we did end up moving over there, it would be tough because we do have our barns um, and our buildings that are here in Culbertson and there are none over there. So we would have to figure out a way. I mean, it could be done, yep. but we'd have to get things figured out. Yep. And it would, it would definitely cost money at some point. Cause you're going to have to build new barns or new facilities or whatnot at a new location. Um, that can be a real challenge. I, it sounds like you've got a charming, little event that the folks that do come out really enjoy what you have to offer. Yes, they do. So let's take a look back here at 2020 for a minute. So much of the industry shut down. Carnivals were forced to close. You were unique in that. You didn't have a carnival. You were able to have your fair. How does it feel while you're having your fair knowing that everybody else around the industry is basically shutting down and, uh, and, and losing their events all over the country? Well, I think it's, it was difficult because we were, we, we had a fair, you could say, um, but it was mostly just a livestock show and our indoor exhibits. Um, we, we don't have a carnival, but we do have inflatables and we do get a small concert. Um, and we did not get to have that last year. So we did get to come together, but we did not get to do any of our big traditional things. We did not get to have our um, our corn feed and our community meals. Got it. it was mostly just livestock oriented. So um, we did not try to do any sort of count as to how many people were here. It was mostly just families. Um, during our livestock auction, 
we did have record breaking. Um, I, I don't know if I'd say attendance, but the prices were the highest prices that we've ever had for any of our youth selling livestock at our fair. That's impressive. And it's something that we have heard consistently from fair managers across the country. Um, I, I've never been really involved in livestock sales cause I, I, I'm on the entertainment side of this, of this coin, but from what they're saying that, you know, the price per pound on their hogs and some of these fairs and which was just outrageously high, which they were very happy and touched that their community would turn up and support the kids when everything else was getting shut down. Yeah, actually there was one thing that was quite crazy is we had, it was our first time ever having someone showcase a market poultry animal. And there was a turkey that sold in the auction for like, I don't know, $380 or something. So, wow. <laughs> so they're yeah, only thanks. about, they're only like 18 bucks or so when you get them at Walmart <laughs> at Thanksgiving, they're not yeah. anywhere near that expensive. Thank goodness. <laughs> so it was quite the I don't know, gold medal Turkey for Thanksgiving there. So when you're, when you're trying to get an event planned, what what you did have in the middle of a pandemic how are you adjusting your event i know you didn't do your you know your corn feed and whatnot but what other ways did you have to adjust to meet cdc or local health guidelines in order to have some semblance of an event so we did get to have our indoor exhibits but not for the general public our indoor exhibits were only for 4-h ffa and scouts And so those were spread out throughout our building, which is normally, the building normally has open class and uh, a lot more exhibits. So they were spread out throughout the building. We had the six feet and one way stickers inside on the floor so that traffic that did come through and look at things, we tried to space them out. We had, um, we had sanitizer placed throughout and we had gotten our county had gotten some crazy sized hand sanitizer thing it was like i don't know 500 gallons of hand sanitizer or something like that in a big <laughs> giant tank so was, you it, had enough hand sanitizer at your <laughs> event it was given to us in gallon jugs and we put it in spray bottles so there was spray hand sanitizer everywhere uh, and then just signs everywhere. We had the fun signs that were, you know, keep yourself one cow apart or two pigs apart. And One cow apart. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love our industry. So, you know, we just, um, we talked with our local health department. Uh, we had a plan in place for our inside and our outside stuff. We spaced out our livestock shows um, because it used to be, Typically on Friday of our fair, we would have all of our market. So it would go pigs, sheep, goats, and steers. I think that was the order. Um, So our show would be about four hours long getting through all of those. And then the next day it would be showmanship of all those. And what we did instead was we had um, chickens and rabbits on Wednesday night. Thursday evening, we had sheep and goats. And Friday we had um, swine and steers. So there were less kids in the barns going through the doors at one time and, um, maybe less people in the audience. You know, if you're there just to watch the pig show, then you didn't come 
Thursday for the sheep and goat show. So uh, just spacing that all out. Got it. And did that give you guys time in between events to, did you have to clean? And cause I know some of the, some of the fairs we've spoken with, they had to go in and they had to clean the whole, um, you know, all the seating area, all the bathrooms around the air, all of that in between the shows. Did you guys have to do that? Um, well, we had a, for our 4-H and FFA clubs were in charge of like cleaning restrooms and stuff. And so they had to go through every hour and clean up. And then we just had more sanitizers um, placed around on our bleachers. It's all outside. And so like every picnic table had paper towels and sanitizer and then the tables had um, a bleach spray Got on them as well. So we kind of left that up to individuals. That seems to me like the smart thing to do. Um, you know, I just got done with a couple of fairs in Florida that I was helping a friend out with and you go down to South Florida and I bet 60% of people, 50 to 60% of people maybe were wearing masks. You go to the fair, then Clay County fair there in Northern Florida by Jacksonville. And I bet maybe 10% of people were wearing masks, but the fair had signage, you know, mass strongly recommended and they had sanitizer and wash hand wash stations. And, um, you know, I just, it feels like, and I don't know if you, how you feel on this, our industry was prepared for this. We just needed to scale our response because we've dealt with, with, you know, infectious diseases and whatnot before because we deal with livestock. Right. So just going from, you know, 20 gallons of hand sanitizer to 500 gallons of sanitizer <laughs> is not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And like, like you said, we are used to the infectious diseases and stuff. So we have had sanitizer in our barns for a number of years and we have, our barns are very small because our whole fair is very small, but at the North end of each barn, we have a sink and hand washing station. Um, and so we just had the signs there as well. And people are used to it when they come to our fair, they know where our sinks and stuff are. Sure. Sure. So has your facility been able to support the community with, um, anything with COVID like testing or vaccination? Um, we are not a year round facility, so okay. we don't have insulation and stuff, but during the summer last year, they did have some drive-through testing, uh, just because our, our parking lot was a nice place for people to be able to drive through and get tested. Um, if there are vaccinations and stuff available again this summer, we may have, um, probably a drive-through vaccination type thing. Sure. We have had one in the town in the last month or so, um, but that has been in a uh, insulated facility. And <laughs> Right, right. And for those of you listening, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, April the 14th, and Angelo just sent me her photo for the, uh, for the episode graphic, and she's standing in snow to take it. Like, that's dedication <laughs> right there. April 14th, and there's still, how, what would you say? There's still four or five inches of snow on the ground up there? Well, over the weekend, it was 70 some degrees. We have been so, so dry here that the last three to four weeks, there have been fires, uh, oh, wow. grass fires daily. It's been a scary situation out here. Um, 70s and wind and just super dry. And then starting Monday, we just, we got this little storm. So snow came out of nowhere in the middle of April. Yeah. So it's nice to get the moisture because this will hopefully cut out some of our drought and some of our fires and stuff, but yeah, four or five inches and 
Yeah. Is that, is that typical? Strange. You know, I haven't been up. I have not been to Montana. Is it typical for it to still be snowing in April? Where we are, so we're about, uh, I don't know, 25, 30 miles to the North Dakota border and about uh-huh. 60 miles to the Canada border. So we are not like what I call TV Montana. You know, where you see all the mountains and the <laughs> pine trees and stuff. We're rolling hills and prairies. So and it's so hit and miss depends on the year some years it's just it's green by now and other years it snows so your side of montana looks a lot more like nebraska than the as you call it the tv version of montana yeah it does that's cool (laughs) it really is it's amazing when you get you know being down living in new mexico it's not entirely dissimilar to that you got the northern part of the state that's you know we're, we're on the south end of the Rocky Mountains and there's you know it's there's there's mountains and and beautiful views and then you get down in the southeast part of the state and it's all flat oil fields it looks far more like Texas than it does New Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> so well, let's look ahead here. Um, you know it's April now of 2021. What are your goals for your event this year? Right now, we're planning as a typical year. Uh, I'm working on lining up our entertainment um, and our activities. We're we're planning to add even more activities than we normally have. So like that corn uh, cornhole tournament that I had mentioned right. a little while ago, uh, we want to have more stuff like that this year. We want to have pie eating contests and horseshoes and all that kind of stuff. We really want people to want to come out and participate and do something and just have fun because there has not been a lot of fun to be had in the last year. Well, that's for sure. I love the way you describe this, this event of yours, because, you know, being an entertainer, I've, I've gone anywhere from super small County fairs to the OC fair and LA County fair and some of the largest events in America. And they've got, everything under the sun at these events and yet your event i had this vision in my head of this just kind of smaller community fair where people get together just for the love of getting together they don't need a carnival they don't need all the they don't need ride bands and all this extra they just they just come together and enjoy their time together yep yeah there's there's other counties nearby that do have the bigger carnivals and um their fairs are within a few weeks of ours. So if they want that carnival, they can, they can go to another County and get that. And then they, they come to our fair and see their friends and see their families and do some of that, just getting together, sitting around a picnic table and visiting and eating their few um, fair foods that are different than other fairs that they only get when they come to our fair once a year. What kind of food is different at your fairs than at, at some of the other fairs? Well, it kind of depends on the year. Um, I guess I wouldn't say it's super different, but it's things that you only get once a year. So we have some lemonade people who make fresh lemonade. Um, so everyone's always looking forward to get getting more lemonade. Their last name is more. So it's called more lemonade. Um, we have a kettle corn guy that makes kettle corn and then all different flavors of popcorn. So they love to get their popcorn and pork rind fill because he makes fresh pork rinds too. Wow. Uh, we've got a mini donut lady 
And then our 4-H booth that has um, typical hot dogs and hamburgers, but then homemade salads, potato salad, and you know, not the store-bought stuff. Got it. So, so not necessarily anything that's a specialty item, but just it's it's more the the special moment you get with the item that with coming together with your friends and family and sporting the four H kids and um, just being close as a community. Yep. And then our FFA alumni they do a barbecue, so people like that alumni supporting the FFA and that corn feed that I talked about too. Awesome. Anything new that your guests can look forward to in twenty twenty one? So some more of those contests that I was talking about, like pie eating and stuff, um, we might be doing ground entertainment. And when I say ground, um, we're going to do maybe like some sidewalk art competitions and stuff. So yeah, we just, I just thought it would be fun to take the squares of our sidewalk and get those decorated up and see what, what people can Go for it. (laughs) Go for it. If someone can make something cool, especially if you find out somebody's got some talent and all of a sudden turns a sidewalk into a mural, then you're going to be like, man, don't rain on this thing. Yeah. I've been doing some research as to like what kinds of um, chalk to use and stuff and how to keep it there so that walking over it doesn't make it disappear right away, but that it's not there forever. Right. That's really cool. I, that's, you know, it just is so different talking to you and, and the way you produce a fair is different than almost any fair that I've, I've encountered. It actually, it sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds very different. And uh, I'm glad that your community really turns up for it. What is it? I'm curious about the, this industry and about your fair that really drives your passion for, you know, you said you've been here, what, nine years in June. You got to be passionate to stick with it like that. What drives that? I, because I was an ag teacher, um, I'm all about education. And so um, someone several years back said to me, you're obsessed with the fair. <laughs> Aren't we <laughs> all? Like, <laughs> okay, yeah, I mean, I guess I was in FFA in high school and I loved going to the two fairs and then I did stuff in college. So yeah, I guess. Um, and then a couple I don't know, a month or so ago in one of our Institute of Fair Management classes, um, they talked about how fairs are the world's largest classroom. And so even in our small fair, I try to educate throughout the grounds um, just as someone's walking by, if they can read a poster or see something that's stuck into our garden, if they can just learn one thing and take something home, that's super important to me. I, I want, I want to educate wherever I can. Absolutely. That's really cool. That's, you know, one of our attractions is called play with giants and it's an agriculturally themed, you know, family game area. And it, a, a lot of that came from my wife. She's an assistant principal now, but she was in the classroom for a decade. And, you know, our attitude is we're not, we're not going to make people farmers. That's not the idea, but if they come through and they connect somehow something they see within our program and they connect it to what um uh, you know where their food comes from then there's real value to that exactly and even though we are an extremely rural area uh, and we've got a lot of farms and ranches and oil field around there are still 
there's still a big part of our population that does not, it is not connected directly to agriculture. And when we have media and celebrities um, that are kind of opposite ag or anti-ag, um, it's, it's nice to be able to get just at least just one tidbit of information to them to get them realizing, hey, it's not so bad. Yes, I would absolutely agree with that. If you were an affair manager, what do you think you would be doing? Oh, I don't know. Um, probably teaching ag again <laughs> or something. It, it's kind of hard where I live. There's not a lot out here. And as it is, my home is 30 miles into this town to work. Wow. So, <laughs> so there's not a lot out here. Um, but I, I'm all about the education. I, I love agriculture. So yeah, for sure, something in the ag industry. Awesome. I can, comp- I totally understand that. Um, listen, we're right at 30 minutes here. I'm, I'm really glad you could be on before we go. Everyone I bring on the show goes through a little series of speed round questions. So okay. I'd like to ask you six quick questions and you give me your best response. Are you ready, Angela? I guess so. You guess so. Question <laughs> one, corn dogs or turkey legs? Corn dogs. I've never had a turkey leg. Boots or sneakers? Sandals. Sandals. We'll take it. <laughs> or boots. <laughs> yes. Somebody always got to go with the, uh, with the one that's not even an option. That's fine. If money was no issue, where's the first place you travel when the pandemic ends? Italy. Love it there. Speaking of travel, name one item you must have with you when you do travel. Sandals. Favorite music artist? Oh, Bob Seeker. Oh, great choice. Great choice. And if you could go back and give 18-year-old Angela one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, don't get student loans. <laughs> Amen. And, 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 you know, I had a great time in college and I was in college a lot longer than you typically should be in college, but I would not change that for the world because I think all those years of college made me who I am. So, um, I would actually encourage students to take a little bit more time and enjoy college and not rush through it. So are you trying to say that your four-year degree is the best 12 years of your life or what? Um, not quite 12, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you took your time and you enjoyed it. Where'd you go to college? I went to Reedley College, which is a junior college in Reedley, California. And I got mm-hmm. an associate degree in animal science. And then I got my bachelor's at Fresno State in agricultural education. Wow. So that must have been a heck of a change going from my, were you, were you from Montana originally? Nope. I was from central California. Oh, so central. So California, those going to school there, that was close to home. And then you made the jump to Montana. Yeah. It's pretty rural where I come from and uh, Paso Robles where I was raised. It's wine country and cattle, cattle and horse country. And then Fresno, um, it's the top ag producer in the world. So um, so being time. from being from California and you're hearing about all these fairs that are just falling like flies for the last year and and even a number have already canceled for 2021. Is it just heartbreaking to you to know that all they're all just falling down like that? 
it is very heartbreaking. Um, it's, I know it's difficult on entertainers, which I've become friends with a lot of entertainers being in the industry, uh, not knowing when their next gig is going to be. And, um, you know, the miles between that they might have to travel just to get something when it's typically routed. Yep. Um, but then some of those fairs that have been canceled and then just may not ever come back again. Yeah. That's, that's really, it's really sad. And I hope that some of them can figure out a way to get going again. Yep. I completely agree with that. Um, you know, initially when this first started hitting, I was really worried about a lot of these small fairs and whether they would even have the budget to make it through. And the longer this pandemic has gone on, it's become clear to me that um, while some small fairs could be in trouble, there's some really big ones that are in in real danger. I mean, Del Mar is, has just gotten smoked in all of this. And part of that is because it's not the loss of the fair. It's the loss of all their their rental, their non-fair rental income. They're, they're yeah. making zero down there. Yeah, a lot of those fairs, people don't realize that fairgrounds are rented sometimes 365 days a year. And yep. a lot of them are losing millions of dollars in income. And when you don't have that, that's the money that's, that runs the fair sometimes. And so you, they're not going to be able to, to do yeah, that. They're able to do anything. Cause I mean, you gotta, it takes money to make money. You know, if you've got a small fair board or a small fair that's run by, you know, volunteers and volunteer board, or maybe you just, you only have maybe the, you know, the fair manager or somebody is the only paid staff, you're probably going to be able to make it through. But I just, I, my heart breaks for Delmar. My, it really does. There's an, a number of them that are larger fairs that it can't even get, get non-fair rental revenue going. So I'm, I was very hopeful um, to see that with Disneyland opening on April 30th, that I, I hope that starts to break the log jam for all those California fairs. And some of them, you know, maybe not the, you know, May and June fairs may be too early, but as you get towards the latter part of the summer, July, August, September, hopefully some of those fairs start to get going. Yes. And I'm, I am glad to see that in the emails that are coming through, from our associations, um, it's not as rapid as it was last year. Last year, it was like, this fair is canceled, that fair is canceled. And it's not coming through as quickly this year. And I, I hope that it really slows and stops and that they are able to have some of those later ones that you talked about. Yep. I've said for a while, um, I think somewhere around June or July, this thing starts to, the needle comes back in our favor and we start getting more events in. The only question becomes, do those events have enough as Jerry Hammer from Minnesota State Fair said, do they have enough runway to get off the ground for 2021? Time will tell. Listen, yeah. um, where can listeners learn more about your fair? RooseveltCountyFair.org is our website. Um, and then our Facebook is RooseveltCountyFair-MT Montana because there's a Roosevelt County Fair in New Mexico. Yep, and- I went to school there. Portales, <laughs> New Mexico. So um, people get confused a lot, especially with sheriff type things on Facebook and they see things happening and are get a little scared, but it's the wrong state. (laughs) 
Yeah, initially, actually, when I first tried to look, was doing the background on you guys and go trying to figure out whether you had canceled and what was going on, it was like, well, they canceled, but I thought they did. Wait a minute. And then I went, oh, that's Portales. That's where I went to college. <laughs> Eastern New Mexico University Greyhounds out there in Peeville. Listen, it was really great uh, having you on the show, Angela. Thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.